the insatiable appetite. I'm really excited to be here with you all today and I'm joined by my colleague Rob Allen, who's a senior consultant with Hartman Retainer Services and I am Melissa Abbott, Vice President of Syndicated Studies. And Rob and I are going to be speaking today about the topic of Ozempic, the diabetes and weight loss drug you've likely seen in news headlines and we're going to talk about how we foresee its impact on food and eating culture. So Rob, it is so great to be speaking with you today. And as you know, we've been fielding questions from clients about how they should prepare for a growing number of consumers who may take Ozempic and similar weight loss drugs. Right. Yeah. Thanks for having me here, Melissa. Um, yeah. And, and true enough, we've been hearing a lot from our clients. They've been very curious about Ozempic and their effects. Um, so today we're going to see if we can make some sense of uh, what's uh, what's going to come beyond the horizon. Uh, but first, we just want to talk a little bit about why uh, this has become such a hot topic in the first place, and just to get, to get some basic facts around Ozempic. Um, so, Melissa, why why has this become such a hot topic? Well, it's an interesting one. So we've been hearing about Ozempic as a weight loss drug used by famous people like apparently right. Elon Musk and the Kardashians to lose a few pounds. But it wasn't until Walmart noticed that customers taking what they call GLP-1 drugs like Ozempic and Wagovi, they purchased slightly less food. And once that was reported, it affected the stock prices of several companies, including Mondelez, Hershey Company, and PepsiCo. So that right. kind of was the thing that like, right, it moved it out of this like kind of tabloid headline thing into, oh, wait, is there something more here? Yeah, and I remember seeing ads for Ozempic and Wegovi, you know, before all that news happened with the Walmart release. But um, yeah, that, that definitely moved things into popular culture and especially in the food industry, I think, uh, increased a lot of awareness. I have to say those stock market reactions, those are overreactions in my <laughs> mind. Um, yeah. Because especially the those Walmart findings, if you read carefully, uh, it does come with a lot of different caveats. Um, and I think the industry, um, you know, it does, uh, that news did raise awareness about Ozempic and the, across the food and beverage industry, um, but um, it might, has, al has also engendered some kind of overreactions um, mm. uh, when it comes to the things there. Um, but Melissa, what, you, you mentioned the GLP-1 drugs, um, and that includes Ozempic and Wagovi, essentially the same things. Uh, what do they actually do? Yeah. I think that's a, a good kind of baseline to figure out what is it that these drugs are providing for people who take them. And quite basically, Ozempic and similar drugs, they slow stomach emptying, which overall leads to a reduced food consumption. But really what I'm, I'm fa what's most fascinating is that it creates like sort of a, a I'm just not that interested in eating or mm. I'm just not that interested in, I'm not compelled to eat things that I, or the amount that I used to. So these were first used as very effective diabetes drugs, but the weight loss effects became pretty apparent in patients 
and you know they're ideally just they're prescribed to patients with elevated um, BMIs and A1C levels, uh, indicating blood glucose, high blood glucose, um, and oftentimes that combined can be um, a, a precursor to other health-related issues and health outcomes that can be quite difficult. So really. In, in, in a nutshell, it's really designed for people who have um, obesity and diabetes-related health issues, not yeah. so much for folks who just need to drop a few pounds. Right, yeah. And so it's uh, it's also important to note, you know, people have to meet these kinds of health thresholds for insurance to even consider um, covering these kinds of drugs, right? And then even then, it's not always a given that insurance is going to be covering that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, the cost for Ozempic um, and similar, it runs about $1,000 a month. And so it's, yeah, it's not accessible to many consumers or the consumers particularly who could experience or who should be able to take advantage of the, the drug's health benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, so that already, that already limits the vast majority of consumers. Uh, to get access to the drug um, if they have to pay out of pocket for it. And, you know, if that doesn't change, I don't really see many people besides the super wealthy getting on it for weight loss purposes. Um, I mean, it's the cost of um, like an average mortgage payment for a lot of people, right? Um, and then especially considering once you get off the drug, the weight typically just comes right back. So you have to be on it. Um, and at the same time, uh, businesses seem to be preparing for this kind of surge in the use of GLP-1s, and uh, they're in, starting to anticipate those kind of wider business impacts on uh, their their like increased uptake and use. And I, I was even just reading this morning about uh, a startup that's focused on gut health products. And they were talking about how they're planning to market their brand to consumers who are on Ozempic, but because apparently um, it it hurts your gut health. Mm. Uh, there's different pro- probiotic implications there, um, and also marketing the product to consumers who are, have recently come off the drug. Mm. Um, so, Melissa, uh, I want to ask you what what do you think this could mean for the industry? It's it's a really huge question, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's in what you just said, too, is really compelling, Rob, because, you know, you can't like take something without, you know, side effects. And clearly, Mm -hmm. we know that gut health is the root of all health. So it's interesting that people are willing to compromise their health to lose a few pounds. But, you know, it can be worth it for people who have um, you know, dangerous levels of, of dangerous types of diabetes that are impacting their health um, or correlated issues with obesity. Um, and so it's important, you know, you can treat it that way. But anyway, okay. So, you know, companies, they are using this, they're really viewing the trend optimistically, right? They're seeing it as an opportunity for increased interest in health forward product offerings. And while analysts suggest these drugs might actually even impact the alcohol sector too, because it seems to also uh, reduce alcohol cravings while taking uh, the GLP-1 drugs. 
And, you know, this is kind of strange, too. It, they're saying that there's a couple of airlines saying that there's a possibly a reduction in fuel during air travel, <laughs> um, which is a, a crazy idea. But the idea that obesity could be solved by these drugs certainly seems a little short-sighted, given that access is the biggest challenge. Um, and until recently, you know, medicine has had very few effective approaches to offer for obesity short of surgery. And that is why the drugs have generated so much excitement. Because, like, mm -hmm. you know, wouldn't you rather, I'd rather, you know, take a, a drug like this, it's an injection once a week, as, as from what I understand, um, rather than have to, you know, have bariatric uh, surgery. So, yeah. so, you know, consistent, affordable access, side effects, and insurance coverage remain the near-term barriers. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also add to the fact that it's not a given that it will work for everyone taking it. Um, and I think there's a real danger here in positioning this drug as if it's some kind of panacea to obesity, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of a lot of the armchair analysis I've read is kind of doing just that. Um, you know, like planes are going to become lighter and save costs on fuel because people are going to weigh less. Um, I mean, just come on. That's that's just being disingenuous in one's predictions and stretching things way too far, I think. Um, and also, if we just start thinking of this drug as if it's a, a cure-all for obesity, that's also dangerous for those people for whom it doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work for everyone and for whatever reason. Um, and so that adds this another stigma to all the people who are struggling in this area. It's not really something we need. We already have enough of that. Mm -hmm. um, and the attitude, if the attitude is still going to be this um, kind of blame the victim approach when it comes to people who can't lose weight, even after trying Ozempic, that's just continuing this uh, fat phobia trend that we already are stuck with. Um, it's a trend that prioritizes how a person looks over how healthy a person actually is. And that's that's a dangerous thing. Yeah, exactly, Rob, exactly. And, you know, before the Ozempic craze, you know, a growing number of doctors and researchers, uh, to your point, had begun advocating for health at every size, which is mm -hmm. a set of principles, right, that states that body size is not a measure of health or worth, and that all people deserve high-quality, non-stigmatizing medical care. Yeah. So it would be unfortunate, to say the least, if a return to an era when, you know, thinness and weight were unquestionably valued. So to me, anyway, it's been a surprise um, that it's become such a vanity-driven status symbol for those looking to shed a few pounds, especially, you know, when we have uh, people with type 2 diabetes who, in some cases, are having trouble filling, you know, their prescriptions. So mm -hmm. yeah. kind of interesting, interesting what's going on there. Yeah. Oh, and then another drawback really is that you have to stay on the drug. Um, a lot of people are going to have to take them indefinitely to avoid regaining weight. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've read a few stories, uh, one about a diabetic patient uh, who was taking Ozempic, uh, significantly reduced her A1C levels, um, and that was good news until her insurance company said that she no longer qualified for the drug since her blood sugar levels were in the normal range. Um, and so now that she's off the drug, she's seeing her weight creep back up and her blood sugar, sugar levels are going back up. Um, so it sounds like we really need more kinds of comprehensive care regarding that 
long-term use of the drug. Um, and I've, I've heard other similar stories that indicate it's not an uncommon thing. Yeah, Rob, make that make sense to me. It's just so, you know, how insurance works these days is crazy. Right. But, you know, it is early days. And when we think about it from the food industry perspective, and so we are seeing the food industry react as if GLP-1 drugs are a silver bullet for excess pounds rather than treatment for more serious obesity-related health issues. So should these drugs become more accessible, the food industry may need to adapt to evolving consumer eating patterns that you know could have potential impact on things like portion sizes, nutrient types, because you're not absorbing as many nutrients, especially if you're really reducing the amount of calories that you're eating and food that you're eating. And so, you know, this could impact overall sales in the coming years. And, you know, we even, there was an NPR story that was very interesting that reported on how people on Ozempic no longer felt as driven by hunger. But since food was such a big part of their lives, they needed to engage in new habits. And so, you know, while some are saying like, yeah, I've taken up, you know, various forms of exercise and other hobbies, many are actually finding this difficult without the, you know, mental health support. So we can't mm -hmm. divorce, mm -hmm. you know, this evolving redefinition of wellness in American culture without addressing mental health and yeah. mental wellness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the long-term effects of these drugs are not well understood. Um, so really it's too early to calculate even their long-term impact on public health, um, mm. you know, much less the food industry. Yeah, well said, Rob. That's exactly right. Well, we are paying very close attention to this topic from a cultural standpoint, for sure, and, you know, what this means, because we've been interviewing consumers for so many years, um, and we've really got a good sense of, you know, how things have shifted where people are, you know, we even see, like, Weight Watchers became WW, like, they became a wellness company, because we had this whole topic, the conversation around weight loss shifted, you know, over the last 10 years or so. So, you know, it's like considering the consumer sentiment around the sensitive topic of weight, wellness and accessibility in America, we're going to continue to pay very close attention to this and report back uh, to our listeners and our clients. So, yeah, you know, just thank, thank you for Rob, to you, Rob, too, for the opportunity to have this conversation. It's an important one. Yeah. Well, thank you, Melissa. And thanks to all our listeners here for tuning in to The Insatiable Appetite. Um, please reach out via our website, thehartmangroup.com and uh, LinkedIn if you have any questions about this or other questions related to your business. <laughs>